welcome to the Girl Tries Life podcast. My name is Victoria Smith and I am your host. And on this show, we show you that success does not come in one size fits all. So we interview women who are doing all sorts of fascinating things with their life. And today we are joined by an award-winning magician, circus stunt girl, and performer, Carissa Hendricks. Now, before we get going, I just want to let you know that this podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Now, there's one thing I want to let you know about ATB today because it really ties in with arts and culture and really different kinds of things that you can do, which, you know, Carissa is all about in terms of magic and stunts. So ATB has this arts and culture branch. So if you're an artist, you know that banking can be difficult because your income isn't traditional. Hello, I'm a writer. I totally get this. So ATB's new arts and culture branch was built for you and you can finally get your banking done in a way that works for you and the industry that you work in. The arts and culture branch is opening in Calgary and in Edmonton within the next few months. So check back at atb.com and look up the arts and culture branch. Now, so I also want to tell you about another sponsor, the Alberta Women Entrepreneurs. So Alberta Women Entrepreneurs, or AWE, invites you to attend a learning day on February 20th in Edmonton. So it's actually not that long away. And this one-day conference features keynotes, workshops, um, all about human resources, operations, financing, marketing, technology, and mindset. So this is where you'll get tangible skills, information, and access to expert resources to help you build your business. So guys, if you've been planning on starting your business, of starting a side hustle, business, whatever, this is your chance. And it's a great way to meet other entrepreneurs so you will feel less alone in your journey. If you are listening to this podcast, it is only going to be available for $99, your registration, until January 19th, and then the price goes up. However, listeners are going to get 10% off if you use the promo code podcast at checkout. So again, $99, but get 10% off if you use the promo podcast at checkout. Now the registration code for this I will include in today's show notes. Show notes for today can be found at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 45 because believe it or not, this is the 45th episode. I am super pumped about that. Today on the podcast, we have Carissa Hendricks. As I said, she is a magician. She is a stunt girl. She uh, award winner and she actually holds, uh, she's featured in the Guinness Book of World Records, has also been featured on Ripley's Believe It or Not and the Super Channel documentary, Carissa Hendricks, Girl on Fire. Now we're going to be talking about all about her fire eating, but we also talk about how, how someone gets into such a non-traditional career like magic. I mean, we all have that magic phase when we're a kid, right? But how do you go from that being the thing you do as a kid to the thing that you do as an adult and do so incredibly powerfully uh, and successfully as she has done so and, you know, has been able to make a career out of it. Now, I was really lucky to meet Carissa at her home. So I actually got to see, you know, her her room where she creates all her little props and stuff like that and see all the costumes and see her doves that, you know, she uses an axe and stuff like it was super cool. So I was really glad to meet Carissa. But we actually met first and we talk about this in the podcast at an event called Pachakacha. So Pachakacha is where you get to, it's like a mini TED talk, if you will. You get 20 slides and 20 seconds per slide and it's advanced automatically. So it ends up being like six minutes and 40 seconds for you to give like the speech of your lifetime kind of thing. Now, Carissa spoke about her experience 
being trolled online, basically. She was on the cover of Vanish magazine, if you read, you know, magic magazines. And it was actually pretty controversial. So she talks about the backlash that she got from that and how she actually handled it and how and how to engage with people who have a different point of view to to yourself. We also talk about whether magic is in her future, whether this is something that she's going to do, uh, how she's going to age with this career and how that's going to change in her life. It was such a fascinating interview. I got to have a peek behind the curtain, if you will, and ask all the questions I've, you know, died to ask a magician, including when you hold fire in your mouth or you eat fire, is your throat lined with anything? Because I assume that it is. But if you want to know more, and if you want to know the tricks behind it, uh, I would encourage you to listen to this episode. So without further ado, let's head over to the interview. So it's nice to see you again. We met at Pachacacha. Yes. I still can't believe that's how it's pronounced. I'm assuming that's how it's pronounced. I'm not like... Pachacacha. Pachacacha? I don't know. The first time I saw it, like my coworker represented, I was like... Pechacucha? I thought it was Pechacucha, but they said Pechacucha, which I, I... They're messing with us. I've been just saying the talk, because I'm the just talk. so scared about pronouncing it yeah. wrong. The thing <laughs> that, that everyone went to. That thing with the slides that's more difficult to produce than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. yeah. Well, your talk was fant- fantastic, which is exactly what I wanted to have you on the podcast today. Mm. So as people will have heard from your bio, you're a magician. Yes. Now... Magic. So, okay, we all have the magic phase when we're kids. How did you go from it not being a phase to, like, this, and, like, no disrespect, because what you do is amazing, but to, like, I want to make this a profession? Well, there is a huge gap in those two sections for me. So uh, I remember being, like, six or seven, And in Canada, we had this TV show called Maximum Dimension, which was this magician uh, called Max Maven, who I just adore. And he would kind of teach magic tricks. And from that, I watched a couple like David Copperfield specials and some little things when I was a kid. And I was young and I happened to be a volunteer at the library club at my school. And so I got a deck of cards and I... I got another deck of cards and I took all the cards out of one deck and using a system I created in my mind with the uh, Dewey Decimal System, I hid all the cards in different popular books. But I would know which one it was because of the Dewey Decimal so I could kind of figure it out how to code. And then that person would come up to take, I'm seven at this point, that person comes up to take out the book and I go, oh, you're taking out that book? Let me show you a magic trick. And I have, I don't, like, so there's this thing called a card force where you make someone pick a card. I had no idea that was a thing. So I would just like make them take a card. Basically, I created a type of force that already existed at seven. And I did it horribly. But it worked because I'm seven. And uh, so the person would take the three of diamonds and then they would, I'd be like, oh, okay. And then I would like put it in the deck and go, it's vanished. And now it's in the back of your book in that little card pocket. And they would lose their minds. And so then I started, (laughs) then I took another deck of cards and I would run around at the beginning of the school day hiding pockets in the back pockets of hiding cards in the back pockets of kids pants and like their backpacks (laughs) and their lunch boxes and I would try to remember what card was like okay I had threes all over my friend Andrew he's got threes so and then all day I'd be like name a card I like just try to do different stuff so I'd be like name a card and someone would be like three diamonds I'd be like Andrew look in your back pocket and it would be what but I mean he, they could have named anything. There were cards everywhere. Yeah. It was insane. And so that's like seven, eight. But the thing is, when you're a little girl that likes magic, nobody goes, 
here, be a magician. No yeah. one buys you a magic kit. I mean, that year I remember I asked for a magic kit and I asked for a sewing machine and I got a sewing machine. Right. And of course. Yeah. Of course. And my brother got like a PlayStation because it's like boy <laughs> things and girl things. Yeah. And uh, and don't get me wrong. I sew all my costumes. I'm grateful for that sewing yeah. machine. But it was just it's just not something we encourage at the especially at the time in young women. Yeah. So then there's this big like empty space where it seemed like I was going to become a writer because I wrote a bunch of short stories and, you know, I was a, a little bit private. And so it was kind of what people expected of me. And then one summer, I think I was must have been 15. Uh, I got into this volunteer program because I used to volunteer a lot. But when do you volunteer a lot from the age of seven? By the time you're 15, you get your pick of the programs. And there was this program in town called Art of Youth where all these kids got to paint murals and do theater and make stuff. And uh, one of the things we did was a bit of circus. And in the circus, I learned how to do some like basic card tricks and some juggling and some hula hooping. And I, outside of that program, learned how to eat fire. At 15. And yeah. probably shouldn't have. I don't encourage 15-year-olds to learn how you fire, but I did. And that was a bad choice, except for a, it was actually a great choice. Anyway. <laughs> disclaimer. You a Guinness World Record for it. <laughs> exactly. Disclaimer. <laughs> um, don't do it. Don't try this at home, Exactly. Kids. So then, uh, so I had all these skills, but they were just things I did for myself. They were things that kind of made me feel powerful and cool. I could juggle. I'm the only kid I know. I can, I can eat fire. I'm the best. I can eat fire. I'm a fire-eating 15-year-old. <laughs> I'm made of awesome. <laughs> and then I turned 16 and there was some, there were some troubles at home financially. And my mom had been in an accident and it was just like lots of turmoil. And you know, I'm 16, so I'm full of myself. And so there was a conflict and my dad ended up kicking me out of the house and, uh, and I needed to make money. And I had like a job working at London drugs, doing stock service in the morning, but it wasn't enough to take care of myself. Did you hide cards in the stock? At <laughs> no, but I used to like walk up and down the shelves, shelving things, thinking like, that'd be a cool magic trick. That'd be a cool trick. That'd be cool. Like I'd write routines. Yeah. Write stories even, write short stories. I used to carry, I bought with my first paycheck, I bought this little recorder and I would like record all my ideas in it. I found it about three years ago and it was all the ideas were rubbish. I threw it away. But it was a cool <laughs> walk down memory yeah. lane for a little moment. And so when I got kicked out, this woman, uh, Marsha Mido, who was this amazing woman, this mentor of mine, lovely. She offered me a job doing uh, entertainment for this haunted house that she was working at. 16-year-old girl, never done anything, and it paid 50 bucks a night which for four shows, which for me was like a million dollars. Yeah. Right? Like that's, that was an impossible amount of money. So I did the Doing whole, something cool. Exactly. So I did the whole season, and I was hooked. And I mean, the nice thing was four shows a night for like, I think, 11 nights. You get good. Even at 16, you get good. You can't help yourself. You learn. I learned a lot. And uh, on the third last day of my run at this haunted house, this magician saw me performing. And they had had a different magician there the day before. And this was, this was like a, they had switched magicians every night. And the first magician had told him like, oh, there's this girl. performing on stage and and she's actually kind of she's kind of got like a cool spunkiness to her you need an assistant you should check her out so he was already primed and then he came up to me after my show and he was like hey I'm looking for a magician assistant do you think you'd want to do that he didn't know how old I was I didn't tell him so uh I started assisting and so I started assisting for him and then a couple years later I was assisting for more magicians in the city and then kind of by the time I was 20 I was assisting for five different magicians and also doing my show. And I kept thinking like, oh, okay, um, you know, as I was finishing school, I'm like, I'm still going to be a writer. I'm still going to do this. Uh, but then it just sort of became clear, like, 
this is what I'm good at. This is it's like, I'm really, I'm really good at being a performer and it comes naturally to me and it's easy and writing is hard and I don't enjoy it. I enjoy having written. Yeah. I don't enjoy writing, but I enjoy all the parts of performing. And so it, it was kind of like an easy push towards that. But, you know, I, I had started out with this interest in magic as a magician as like a kid. And now I was an assistant. So I was part of magic. And the boys let me, the boys I worked with kind of like let me start contributing to the writing. And they sort of let me, you know, do a little bit of the blocking, a little bit, have a little more creative control. And then a little more and then a little more and then a little more. And then I kind of realized, you know, I, I should just start my own show. So I, I wrote my own show. But at the time, most of my skills were circus and stunts. So I toured this bar show and this street show that was all glass walking and fire eating and putting needles in my face and all this stuff. I've seen something about scissors up your yeah, nose. Yeah, scissors on my nose. <laughs> Just a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. And it was good. It taught me how to handle an audience. I mean, bar shows are one of the best educations you can get as a performer because you have to be funny and you have to be quick and you have to be able to handle a heckler and you have to, you know, I think I was 22, 23 when I did my first bar tour and they ate me alive, but you learn fast. And the same thing with street performing, right? Street performing, nobody expects you to be there. You have to gather your own crowd. You have to convince them you're worth watching. So it's a wonderful education. And then, <laughs> so I, you know, I did that, got to go to Italy, do my world record, all this stuff. But there was something about the world record that had a finality to it. Where it was like, okay, that's, I'm the best at this thing. Yeah. I've toured and I was getting kind of sick of my show. And right before I went to Italy, I did this bar show and it was great. It went so well. It was like, they loved me. It was super funny. And the woman who booked me comes up to me afterwards and she goes, oh, great job. We loved you. Uh, can I just say that, you know, you, you're like listed as a stunt girl, stunt performer. Um, next time, I mean, we love the show. It's great. But, uh, you know, it's, it's clearly like more of a magic show. So next time I would say just list yourself as a magic show because we had just had a magician here a couple of weeks ago. And we might have, we might not have booked it if we had known it was all magic, but it was great. And I'm thinking, oh, what? what are you talking about? I did, because I did fire eating. I walked up burn glass and then I realized I'd done a razor blade swallow, which is a magic trick. I had done a card trick in the show. I had just, magic had just started yeah. filtering into the show. So, like, for me, it wasn't, and it was never like, I woke up one day and I'm like, I'm a professional magician. Yeah. Basically, a woman walked up to me and said, hey, did you notice you're a professional magician? <laughs> and I went, oh, my God. I'm when, when did that happen? <laughs> what happened? So, yeah. So, then uh, I went to the world record, which was, like, a nice finality. And I got this money. Like, they gave you a chunk of money to do it. And uh, in Calgary, there's this thing called the One Yellow Rabbit Theater Intensive, which is like that three-week theater intensive. And I applied to go into it with, uh, and it was like the exact amount of money I'd gotten from doing this world record show. And my concept was, I didn't really know I wanted to be a magician at the time. I was like lost in, I, you know, I'm, I'm 25, I'm having a midlife crisis in my showbiz career because by 25, I've already been doing this for years. And, and, I, and I never really decided to do it. It sort of was a way to pay the bills. And then I slowly fell in love with it. And I was just so confused. And the whole center focus around that intensive is who am I now? Who am I now? That's a question you ask every day. And by a weekend, I was like, I think I'm a magician. <laughs> am I a magician? And by the second week of the intensive, I went and got the doves and I like had completely committed to yeah. like, oh, I'm a magician now. I'm a magi and then it took me another year to go from, 
you know, what do you do for a living? I'm a magician. Because you're like a little shy <laughs> yeah. about it. To like a year later, I was like, I am a magician. Yeah. And I'm it takes some like time mm, to get yeah, that pride it, and stuff. It takes it. a yeah. lot, of, especially because there's like such a huge barrier for entry. There's so much to know. Yeah. You constantly feel like you, you're just an idiot all the time. And also I felt like at the time, you know, my sideshow act was really good. And then starting over with magic was like, okay, now I'm crap again. Oh, right. the beginner phase again. Yeah. It's so much fun. So that was fun. Yeah. So you kind of slid over this whole Guinness World, Re- world <laughs> Record thing. What do you mean? So <laughs> tell everyone what's the world record that you hold. So it's actually, I think it has now been beat. Oh. Technically. But I still have a world record. You're like, I still got the money. Yeah, I still <laughs> got the money. And technically, I'm the only woman to ever hold it. So I think in the new book, I'm listed under the record as within brackets female which is interesting because okay. uh, anyway so the record is uh longage uh torch teething which is a fire eating trick where you hold a lit flame in your teeth and the original record i beat was 32 seconds oh 46 seconds and then i did it wait is this right 32 seconds no it was 32 seconds and then i did yes it was 32 seconds that they told me it was. And so I was able to get to 50 seconds. Oh, wow. And then the day before I flew out, they said, oh, no, no, we're wrong. We just looked it up. It's actually a minute 32 seconds. <laughs> and I went, I've never been to Italy. I'm just going to tell them I can do it. Yeah. What do they know? So I flew out. The producers, you're there for a week. And there were two people, two females doing world records on the whole show. Everybody else was a guy. Wow. So they kept coming into my little room. And going, hey, it's really important you accomplish your record. And all I could think is, is it? I'm not going to throw it. I want it too. Yeah. We're on the same. This conversation (laughs) is not helping. You are bad at your job. Like, (laughs) what do you expect? Where's the, like, pumping people up? Exactly. You've got this. Exactly. And so we do it in rehearsal. And I get to, like, a minute. And they're disappointed. And I tell them, oh, well, you know, I'm just saving it for the show. But I'm convinced I'm not going to get it. Then they do the photo shoot for the book. And I burn myself during the photo shoot. So I'm definitely not getting this record. Then I meet Marco Frigatti, who was the director, the, the judge. And I said, hey, Marco. Can you do me a favor and can you count out loud on the tens? Because I've been, I've, that's what I've been doing during practice. I have somebody count on the tens so that I can focus. No problem, Carissa. Great. So we go out there and I have a little bug in my ear, like a little, uh, little audio thing because everything's in Italian and I don't happen to not speak Italian. <laughs> so they talk and I'm not in smile. Mm-hmm. And then I find out what I agreed to. That's how it works. <laughs> so I walk out there and I'm nodding and smiling and then in my ear, I hear them say, she's so beautiful. Isn't she so beautiful? And I realize I've been just nodding and smiling. Yes, I am beautiful. I am so beautiful. I am the most beautiful. So I'm already a little bit shy and embarrassed. And so, you know, they introduce it. We get into the record. And I hear Marco count 10, 20, 30, 40. And then he stops counting. And all I can think is, this guy is the biggest jerk ever. Like, clearly I'm in pain. This is a point. I need this. Psycholo- what a jerk. So I just hold as long as I can until I like my eyes are watering and I can feel the, the toxins. Because you're, you're kind of inhaling some of the toxins. You know, I can feel it in the back of my mouth, like this that sort of chemical burn in my mouth. And so finally I stop it and I, big smile. Ah. And I, I look over at Marco like, jerk. And he's looking over at me with this huge smile on his face. And I'm just like, what's wrong with that guy? So in my ear, I hear it, and I'm and I'm smiling, and I'm thinking they're gonna be like, oh, you know what, you know, yeah. missed the record by a couple. Of, like I thought I got close, but obviously I didn't get it. And they announce, and then, 
everybody goes ah, and I look and I go huh and then in my ear I say here in my ear I hear a new record is set at two minutes and one second I beat the record by 29 seconds holy and my composure completely <laughs> go, like you, there's a video <laughs> online smelling to holy yeah I just <laughs> jump up and down and I'm like ah, and I kind of realize I'm on national tv and I'm back to composed <laughs> so we're not supposed to record it in the room but and I won't say who because I don't have to make sure I made some friends Right. And so they were kind of secretly recording on their phone. So I could watch it afterwards. And I watch it and I realize Marco is counting the whole time. But once we hit 50 seconds, I was so focused and the pain was so intense. I had completely hear. shut him out and I couldn't hear him. Oh. And so he was counting the whole time. He's a totally nice, awesome guy. Yeah. <laughs> but Death I just stare for not for like. nothing. So you must be looking at me like, was she OK? She OK? It was super cool. It was a really fun experience. Uh, and then my body went into shock for three days and I had oh. to fly home with my body in shock and it was horrible. And I had terrible toxic poisoning and uh, the inside of my gums were covered in these super tiny blisters. So my whole mouth was swollen. But I wore that metal for like days. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care. So, but yeah. So recently over the summer, somebody tried to beat the record and I know that they didn't get it. But then Guinness, I've been chatting with Guinness about I'm doing three more records this year. Oh, wow. And so they messaged me about my other record and we've been chatting. And so that's why I think it's been beat is because uh, we were talking about changing it to female. And I'm like, oh, does that mean somebody has it? But it doesn't matter because I had it for like six years. Yeah. And uh, and I'll still t- I'll take I'll take that record female. Yeah. It's harder as a girl. Your face is tinier and your like your whole body's tinier. Yeah. It's an easier trick if you're bigger. So yeah. I'll take it. Okay, mom question here. Do it. (laughs) So I remember watching a documentary with David Blaine and like he'd been doing this glass chewing. Oh, it's the worst trick ever. Like it looked awful. And he he goes to the dentist in the documentary and the dentist is like, dude, you have to stop doing this. Like you've Mm. got exposed nerve and all that kind of stuff. As someone that eats fire, (laughs) who's concerned about you? Like, is this something your dentist looks at? Is this something your doctor? Like, is there anything to be concerned about? I don't want to ruin the magic side of it, but I'm like... So my How's biggest, it's, it's okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but my biggest concern before I did the record was I know that there's, uh, there's an air bubble in your teeth and I thought it might make my teeth explode. So I went to the <laughs> dentist because I was like, I, I'm not gonna be able to do this record if in the back of my head the whole time I'm thinking like, are my teeth going to explode? So, uh, you know, just a normal, Live on television. normal question people think all the time. Yeah. So I went to the, to the dentist and I was like, I want to do this world record. I'm scared my teeth are going to explode. And he went, Cool. <laughs> I was so excited. <laughs> so we, um, he had a set of like real teeth that he had from something. And we did a test. And we figured out they started to crack at three minutes. <laughs> so I was like, all right, cool. I'm not going to make it to three minutes. Yeah. I felt confident. However, what ended up happening was that it did some really serious nerve damage. Oh, so for yeah. about a year and a half, every time I smiled in the wind, I'd get uh, it'd be like being punched in the nose. Like you'd get a ner- shot of oh. nerves. It's a little better now. Now if I smile in the cold, it just sort of hurts a little. Like your body recovers really quickly. Hilariously though, I did a glass eating act years ago. And before that, I'd never had a cavity, nothing. <laughs> I've had three cavities since then because it just scrapes all the enamel off your oh. teeth. Yeah. So, I mean, you pick your battles though, right? Like yeah. I eat fire and I walk on your glass and all these things. But I don't drink 
really much. I yeah. eat really well. Yeah. I don't go skiing. Um, you, <laughs> you know, swallow razor blades. No I, big deal. Exactly. You know, <laughs> like you pick your battles. <laughs> you know, it's good. You know, your liver. I don't have a lot of sugar in my diet. I yeah. feel like overall, I'm I'm probably more healthy because you know, it, I think it's the stuff you do every day mm-hmm. that affects your health. Whereas with fire eating, I only do it maybe like once a week. Whereas you know, people who smoke, it's like every day. Yeah, that's probably fine. That's like probably it. fine. What are you coating your throat with, or, or is this a trade secret? No, nothing. That's the that's the thing. Sorry, what? Yeah, nothing. It's, I you assume just do there it. was something no, like there's nothing. People do, but there's nothing. No, because your salat, your body is amazing. Your body is amazing, and basically, your saliva is one of the best insulators. I mean, you eat hot food as part of your your. Yeah, but you're not eating fire. No, but I mean, like some pretty hot stuff. Like there are times where I sip coffee and it's too hot. I'm like, ooh, and then people will make fun of me because they're like, you eat fire. How is that? That's hot. But your your body is so good at coping and so good at healing that it's better just to leave it naturally. And and also the problem is that some people there there are so, very few. It's rare will like coat themselves or do numbing sprays. That's worse because now you don't have the sensitivity. So you're more likely to injure yourself. So it's better not to coat anything and to just have that sensitivity and just to learn how to deal with it and learn how your body relates to it. Like you're, it hurts, but what, how much does it have to hurt before it's actually a sign it's causing damage? That's something you want to learn. This is a look of shock on I my know. face. I'm, I'm like, the mom in you is getting so triggered. You're like, no, let me save you. I ju- no, I just genuinely thought that there was no, there's nothing. something coating it. Mm-mm. Wow. No, nope. that makes it even scarier. Nope. You're when just, I see your this mouth trick is from now on. going commando. Holy moly! Okay, yep. <laughs> okay. So we've talked a little bit about this. When most people think magicians, they only think of the men. Mm-hmm. There aren't. I mean, I'm sure when you're in the sector, you know a lot of female magicians. Oh, there's so many. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul Draper, an, another magician, he did an interview for a radio show a couple weeks ago and was asked like what are your favorite female magicians? And he could only think of like four. And he felt horrible because he's a good guy. So he went on Facebook and he's like, let's make a list together of all the yeah. female magicians. He has 700 names on oh, that list amazing. right now. There's a lot of ladies. Yeah. Like a lot of ladies. The trouble is with magic is that it's quite obscure. Beyond yeah. David Blaine, Chris Angel, Penn and Teller, David Copperfield, beyond like these big names. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Unless you're in the magic scene, you don't really know magicians. Yeah. So there's not a lot of prominent female magicians, except there totally are. They're just like that one step below that like leaves us in obscurity. What we need moving forward is we need like we need a girl David Copperfield. We need a girl Penn and Teller. That's going to be the next step. That's the reason why people think there are no female magicians is because there's no famous female magicians. Yeah. Like and we're talking TV famous. TV famous. Yeah. Or like even, you know, I mean, Houdini is a historically famous male magician. And there were like there's lots of historically quote-unquote famous female magicians but unfortunately because of the way that history has been the pursuit of men for a long time it's more interesting to write about people that are like you and so they perpetuate the narratives of men Mm -hmm. and you know so therefore women get forgotten about yeah okay so they're not as well known but did you still face issues like headlining as a magician like so it's I think I'm in a really interesting position because because I started out as an assistant and because I started out in Calgary where the support here is amazing. I mean, I'm the only, other than London, the nine-year-old who I work with, and uh, Gwen, who is the the magician's assistant, but she doesn't bill herself as a magician. She bills herself as like uh, the most amazing assistant. That's it for all of Alberta. That's it. That's the all the ladies. That's all of us. And when I was getting started, there was no London and there wasn't no Gwen yet. So it was uh, just me. And 
and I assume I didn't think that was the whole world because I didn't know better I just assumed oh it's just not a lot of ladies in town but the boys are super supportive and they include me and I feel like just one of the guys and so I I had this really great introduction into magic and then I was 25 before I went, I'm going to be a magician now. <laughs> so I already, and I've been doing bar shows and street shows. So I'd already kind of built up like a defense mechanism kind of thing. And then I show up, I decided one year I'd been studying and studying and working on my act. And I had a full hour. Okay, I'm going to go to my first magic convention. So I picked this obscure little convention called Abercorndabra in Iowa. Like this nowhere. I was going to say it had to be like yeah, just middle of the U.S. Like yeah. maybe there's 100 people who go to it. And I was like, I'm going to go. I'm going to show up. And I'm just going to own. That's my plan. I'm going to yeah. make my entrance. And there were all these amazing lecturers. It was actually a really great first convention. And I walked in. <laughs> and I had like, I, I, I wore what I thought people would wear to a magic convention. Like what the girls would be wearing. So I had like but a white button, a poofy white button up with like black corset waist cincher and like a mini skirt and heels <laughs> i this is the first time i've admitted to this i just realized <laughs> this is the first time i told this story like, wow i opened the doors to the to the dealer's room and you know like in those old movies when people walk into a saloon and everyone's like like the yeah. piano stops it was exactly <laughs> that it's a room it, it was everybody in that yeah. room was between the ages of 45 and dead <laughs> no women no women. Everyone's wearing like, like Hawaii, big Hawaiian shirts and like sweatpants. And I'm like, huh. I walk in like, I, like someone hired a stripper. Like it was not cool. <laughs> it was not, it's not what I expected. And so now I'm like walking around looking at magic and people have no idea how to deal with me. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking it's because I dressed wrong. And it's because I'm the only woman in the room. I'm the only one in the room. That's it. I'm the only one. I'm this 25 year old girl that came out of nowhere. And, for, and then I went to another magic convention that year and another magic convention that year and another magic convention year, that year. And it wasn't until like the last magic convention that I realized, oh, there's just not a lot of ladies. There's like, there's like maybe no ladies. Because I would go into a room and sometimes there would be women. I'd be like, oh, women. And I'd go sit with them and they'd be yeah. like, hi, I'm married to so-and-so. Oh, darn it. Okay, yeah. great. What's that like, I guess then? <laughs> <laughs> But pretty quickly, like the nice thing about women in magic is they're very supportive. So, I mean, like with the, one of the first the, at the Abercorn Dabber, there was Kayla Drescher, who's this magician out of L.A. who's wonderful. So this wonderful uh, energy, really funny, really like casual. She's got this great like she makes everybody feel at ease. Yeah. So she's got this great presence and it makes her magic really, really strong. And then shortly after that, I met, uh, well, just a whole bunch of people. I mean, I got to meet Alba just this last time, this last uh not this last time at the castle, the time before, Alba, who is my spirit animal. She's unbelievable. She lives in Buenos Aires, or she's originally from Buenos Aires, and now she lives in Chicago. And she's super funny and amazing. And, and I, you know, she's like, oh, she's, she's not, she's like she's in her 40s maybe, but like she's totally just one of the sexiest. Yeah. Oh, she's amazing. 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 Yeah, there's not a lot of ladies, but the ladies that are around, some of them are just insanely cool. Yeah. Like, like properly shockingly make you want to hide under a table cool yeah. like so cool so cool at the castle this last time when i was performing i got to meet faye presto who's out of the uk and i've been obsessed with faye presto for eight years yeah and she was in my first show oh at the castle gosh. in my monday first show and i was just like well this is when i throw up this yeah. is i throw up and then she was Who cool. Who shows up to those shows at the castle? Like, oh, my God. Like celebrities? Everybody. Totally. Well? Okay. Totally. 
totally it was amazing nice. so like all the all the magicians come yeah there's lots of normal people that come yeah. to the castle because they get in somehow or they do their thing and then there's just like you never know who the celebrities are in your audience i don't think there were a lot of celebrities in my audiences i heard that chevy chase was in the show on sunday but i would but also i was doing the palace which is like the big room yeah and so mostly I totally just like did my show and then went to my dressing room and then sat up for the next show because there's three yeah. shows a night and our show is like 45 minutes long. I'm yeah. do doing 15 minutes and a 45 minute show and you just like with reset. So I don't know who was all there. Yeah. But at other times I've been at the bar at the castle and I look over and I'm like, oh, that's a famous person. That's a famous person. It's kind of cool. Nice. It's kind of cool. But the coolest part about it is that at the castle, the famous people aren't famous. The magicians are famous. Like, oh, cool. No, I don't. Yeah. Usually, if I even if I see a famous person, I'm like, whatever, cool. Oh my goodness, Max Maven's here. I'm gonna yeah. go talk to him. Like, yeah. I only care about the magicians that are there yeah. because this is the one They're time. They're idols. They're your yeah. Peers and they'll just talk to you. They'll just you know, if you go yeah. over there and you're like, hey, I'm working on this trick, they'll fix it. Or you know, they're really generous with their time and cool yeah. and so cool. Okay, so that surprises me because I, f as an outsider, you kind of feel like people want to keep their tricks to themselves or uh, pun intended cards close to their chest <laughs> or whatnot but like seeing what you did there yeah yeah um is how do you learn the tricks then if that or is that not the case like do you did you mentor along the way or as an assistant like you're taught from various mm, i think part of it is that once you prove yourself it's whatever you want so there's this quote that says that magicians guard an empty safe and because we want to keep the secrets from the lay people for your own good. Yeah. We're not trying to hide it from, we just, we know magic is a gift. Yeah. Think seeing a magic trick and not know how, how it works. That is a gift. That is a very special thing. When I get fooled, I love it. It's the best thing. I mean, it drives you nuts as well no. as the audience. You're like, how did they do that? But yeah, you're like, is, but yeah. I really don't want to know. Especially if you've got yeah. a puzzly mind. But, but yeah. honestly, like the, once you know how anything works most of the time, it sucks. Yeah. You're just like, oh, there was just like another cupcake. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and it's sad. But uh, I mean, sometimes the method is so cool yeah. that you're, you you want to know. But for the most part, all you have to do is prove yourself. And that's done a couple of ways. One, you need to be able to session. So I don't do a lot of card tricks. They're not interesting to me as a performer they're interesting to me as a spectator because they fool me all the time and i love that experience but as a performer i don't i don't feel inspired by creating narratives around card tricks mm -hmm. however it was my job to come up with 15 minutes of card tricks because i know that when you session you gotta show that's usually what people are doing so i Sorry, have what do you mean by session so that's like a bunch of magicians get together and they show off okay and part of what they're doing is they're going i know my stuff do you know your stuff i know my stuff do you know we can all talk we can all talk right and it's sort yeah. of just a way of establishing this is yeah. we're, we're allowed to say whatever we want in this environment the other way to do it is just to be well known which is not as hard as it sounds because it's a pretty tight-knit community so you know, you see people around at conventions and there's only so many places to go. People go to a lot of conventions. Yeah. You see people, you get used to them. And so then that's part of how. But then also every once in a while, someone will just come up to me and be like, show me your stuff. You know, <laughs> I remember being at a party in Vegas and uh, Bizarro is this amazing magician in Vegas who's an inventor. And I just adore him when I have an idea and I can't get past like you'll get to a step and you'll just be like, I don't know. 
Biz is usually the first person I call and go, ah, help. And then he goes, oh, and he'll just in five seconds fix it. I'm like, oh, thank you, Biz. You know, I would say probably 10% of all the stuff in my show that is awesome is Biz's fault. He's so helpful. But when I was first hanging out with Biz, I went to a party and he was there. The next party I went to, there were like three or four of us. He walks over to me and he hands me a deck of cards and goes, show me something. And everybody comes over and just watches. And I, I just did, you know, my 15 minutes and I learned pretty much just to show magicians. And he went, okay. And then that was it. <laughs> I know. Because they just want to know that you know, that you respect it and you appreciate it and that yeah. you're part of the group. So yeah. the information is, it, people talk all the time. There's a whole culture of lectures, the books, there's a million books. You know, we want to share information. That's part of the culture. But there's a certain barrier for entry. You have to prove... Yeah you're serious, you're really a magician. Yeah. Penn and, I think it's Penn and Teller have that thing where like, if they can figure out people's... Yeah, fool yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you, like, have you ever watched that and can you figure out their stuff most of the time? Well, okay, so Fool Us is a really great show. It does a lot of really important things for magic. Penn and Teller are brilliant. So there's gonna inevitably be stuff on that show that, you know, fools magicians as well like, that's the whole point people yeah. go on there with stuff that would fool magicians so i get fooled all the time watching this show but also a lot of the times it's tough because you see a trick and you're like oh i think this is how that's done but often there's more than one way to do something okay so what you'll end up doing with that show a lot is you'll go for me as a magician i'll watch something and i'm mostly watching because i enjoy the performance of it i enjoy someone's take on it i want them to be a good performer first and then my brain's thinking oh well you could do it this way 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 but i don't necessarily have a good enough eye to be able to tell which method i just okay. happen to know what could be done whereas penn and teller specifically mostly teller has such a good eye that he can look at something and not he knows all the ways you could do it and he can also tell you how it's done yeah so it's really hard to fool them like the magicians that go in there and legitimately fool them they're they're killing it like it's it's a big accomplishment it's like, a cool do you show know people that have been on that then yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's only there's only so, so many people in the magic community, so yeah. it's not unusual to be out with dinner and out for dinner with some magicians. And I'm like, everybody at this table has been in the show. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty normal. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, okay, we need to talk about the Vanish cover. Yeah. So that's how I first sort of learned about you at Pachakacha. You were talking about, you know, if you read magic magazines, Vanish <laughs> seems to be one of the ones to read, and you. We're on the cover, and I thought it, I personally think it's such a stunning cover. Like, you you and the art director and everyone did this American Beauty take with cards instead of rose petals or whatnot. Like, it looks stunning. And yet... <laughs> yeah, people were mad. Your phone started blowing up, and the so internet mad. lost its mind. They Tell us so all about mad. that. So, uh, how I got the cover was that I had written an article for Vanish. So, I, I again, I have a background in writing. That's what I was supposed to do. I would, I like to fancy myself a pretty okay writer. And, uh, and I knew about a year ago that I wanted to work on a book. And so I was like, okay, well, you know what I should do? I should start writing articles and then um, I'll get my writing skills up and I'll write a book. So I wrote this article about hypnosis for Vanish. And it's quite critical of hypnosis. Basically, it implies that hypnosis is a little rapey. Like it's not, it's a, not so great. Yeah. And I just wanted to expose that and it was super controversial. So, and it went really well and they really liked it. And I'd been talking to some of the guys at Vanish and based on that article and how well written it was and some of the videos that had been featured on iTrick, they decided they wanted to offer me the cover and they wanted to offer me an opportunity to help write it. 
And their perspective was like, we like you, we want you to write more for the magazine, but people don't really know who you are because mostly my claim to fame has been like stage managing for the largest magic convention in the world and all these things. And it's like stuff that's kind of behind the scenesy. Yeah. So they were like, we want to, we want to expose you, so to speak. <laughs> Little did you realize. Little did I realize. Yeah. And a year before that, my one of my mentors, Amberlynn Walker, this amazing photographer, amazing magician. She just she was just on the finale of Fool Us, actually, like a little while ago, like a couple days ago, doing a killer thing. She's amazing. In this very living room, we moved this couch. She shot it from that stairwell oh, right wow. there. We we bought uh, fifty decks of playing cards. <laughs> we laid them all out over the floor. We we set them up. Her partner, her. Uh, uh, Ryan Stock was the one like helping arrange the cards. I'd known them for years, so yeah. it was fine. It, it wasn't awkward at all. Yeah. We shot this photo, and that was like way before the cover. And then when I got offered the cover, and I knew that their perspective on it was like, oh, we want to expose you to the community, we want to do this. And I had started writing the article, and I realized that the article I was writing for about myself was actually, I was being quite vulnerable in it more than I expected I was going to let myself be. And so I talked to Amberlynn about this photo, and we decided together, like, oh, this was a great metaphor visual metaphor for this thing and also it was a really iconic image and we liked the idea of creating an iconic image for magic because if you think in magic there's all these like male iconic images but there aren't a lot of iconic images of female magicians so we picked the photo and I did the whole layout accordingly and you know Amber and I and a couple of people were like you know some people might think it's a bit racy and we were like cool they're gonna yeah. like some we're gonna upset old men there's gonna be like four old men in a room somewhere that are mad at us perfect <laughs> sweet so we publish it the magazine's totally behind it everything's great yeah and then i was in australia doing this magic convention and i guess my phone blew up people were so very very mad and weirdly not right away so the cover came out we got lots of great compliments a week went by seemed like everything was fine and then just, yeah, one day I'm sitting at the in the Magic Central in, in Melbourne at the Magic Festival and buzz, 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 buzz. My phone is constantly ringing and people are sending me screen captures of comments and arguments on forums that are private. Forums from the Magic Castle, forums from different like little magic groups. And it's mostly women, female magicians who are so mad. And they're mad for a whole bunch of different reasons. They're, some of them are on my side, quote unquote, like because they think the magazine forced me to do it. And they're like, she should be allowed to do whatever she wants. Some of them were really like, this is perverted. There was this unfeminist. And there's all this negative, crazy nonsense around it. And like, you know, I was premiering my new character in Australia. I had enough on my plate. And... Amberlynn and uh, the photographer, my mentor, and Anastasia Sin, who is also this great magician out of Vegas, who just happens to be married to Amazing Jonathan, and she's really fierce, and she's super well-respected. The two of them just rose up and just crushed everyone. Like, mm -hmm. just, they were on top of everything. And so I just didn't have to deal with it. So I didn't. I just let it, I let the fire burn, and I had no idea. I just sort of was like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Until I realized I was going to go stage manage for Magic Live in Vegas in a couple of weeks. And I was going to see all of these women 
face to face. <laughs> all of them were going to be there. They were all going to look into my eyes and I could no longer hide under the covers. This was, this was going to be real and I had to deal with it. And so, you know, my first instinct was to do what anybody would do, which is just like vilify and be like, these guys don't know. Yeah. They're dinosaurs. They're stupid. I hate them. Whatever. They don't care about them. And then I realized like, no, no, these are a lot of these women are women I know about who I respect who I admire, who I know have worked hard in the magic community, who've contributed so much. Let, why don't I try to understand them? So I started responding to these people and, and, and lots of great conversations. And it was really hard because a lot of them started with like, why do you want, you know, a lot of them very aggressive. And then it slowly come down, slow, slow, slow. And so then we decided, it was Amber's idea, I think, to do a big photo shoot in Las Vegas with all these women. And you could be clothed or you could be naked, whatever you want. We would do this photo of like women standing together and it's going to be actually in one of the vanishes she's coming out. It's a a great photo and and like tons of women participated and tons of women didn't participate. Tons of women are going to write for it. Tons of women didn't want to participate at all. But what was cool about it is even the women that were like, I absolutely don't want to do that. And here's why. Amber and I listen to every word they said and we completely validated like yeah those are completely reasonable concerns and if you don't want to do it you do not have to mm-hmm. we you know everyone still knows you're a lady magician this isn't this isn't going to be everybody this is just you know we're making a statement on behalf of all women if you don't want to be part of that that's totally cool and it was cool because the convention i was there for five days because i also help um organize a little bit and so the first day i show up and i'm walking past magicians in the hallway and at any convention you're just like oh buddy i haven't seen you hug 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 and then every once in a while in my periphery i would see some person not always a lady but some person eyeballing me and my brain would go oh wonder who oh i see they're very angry (laughs) i understand and as the week progressed i made an effort if when i had time to approach those people and be like hi i'm carissa it's nice to meet you uh, what kind of magic do you do? And they would be very defensive. And then eventually they'd go, you know, I did see your cover. And I'd go, oh, excellent. How did you feel about that? And then they would be like, well, I felt very, and I'm like, oh, intro, tell me more. And by the end of the conversation, they didn't necessarily, I'm not trying to change anybody's mind. I just genuinely wanted to understand yeah. what it upset about them. And it was cool because by the party on Wednesday, there wasn't a single person who wasn't like looking me in the eye and smiling. And that doesn't, I didn't, doesn't mean I got, convert I'm not trying to convert anybody it was just a matter of like look I understand and I heard you and you deserve to be heard and your opinion matters it's not going to change what I do with my career but I do care about you and I do want to know what your perspective is and you know I think what I was most impacted by by was by the amount of women who felt like it told them that they couldn't participate in the industry unless they were willing to be sexy which was such a wake-up call for me because I love performing sexy. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite thing. I love dick jokes. I love dick <laughs> jokes. Like my, if you go through my show, there's at least one dick joke every two minutes, easily, yeah. if not more. I might be being generous. Um, I, it's just I love sexualized humor. It's my style. My character is very sexy. I love playing with that line. But I chose that. Yeah. And I grew up in entertainment in an environment where I was allowed to choose that. And I could only imagine how frustrating and hard it must be to be like, I don't want to do sexy. Yeah. But I'm expected to. That's got to suck. Yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting, I think, how you ended it, if I'm remembering correctly, at Pachaka Chat about it. It is just about the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's exactly what you did with all of these people. Yeah. Well, and the, yeah. the big thing I wanted to say at, at the Pachaka Chat, if that's how you call it, um, I think, I don't know, is, uh, is that my story 
is not the point. No, <laughs> nobody reads those magic magazines. Nobody <laughs> cares. This story affects all of like 300 people in the world. The point of it is that there are bigger issues. There are times when stuff like that happens where you feel isolated or you feel attacked or you feel, you feel like you're at the bottom of, of this thing fighting to get to the top. And when you disagree in those situations where it affects more than 300 people, where then that's when we need to listen to each other. Yeah. And that's when we need to be like, I'm not going to vilify these people. I'm going to genuinely listen, even though it hurts. Yeah. It hurts to hear them hate a thing I put so much time and effort into, into a thing that represents me. Yeah. They hate a thing that represents me, but that thing is not me. And what's really important right now is making sure that this person is understood and me genuinely, not just making them feel understood, genuinely trying to understand them. Whether they feel that understanding or not. Because for me, it's important that I know what this person's experience of it is. And, it, you know, naked ladies on magic covers, who cares? But big political world event stuff, that stuff matters. And so yeah. the, my, the point of my talk was really like, here's my, uh, here was my opportunity to do the hard thing. How about we all do the hard thing? Let's yeah. just all, it, let's acknowledge it's the hard thing and it sucks. And you're going to mess up once in a while, but let's just make that the baseline. Like, I don't, it's not about being right. It's about really genuinely understanding people. You know, there's another great quote about how the, I can't, I think it might be Buddhist, which makes me feel weird about saying this quote. I don't remember where this is from. Somebody tell me in the comments. Um, but it's about how the, the heart of all human suffering is a lack of understanding. And I really believe that, that, you know, if we all just were patient enough and unselfish enough and, and had enough time and could take a volume or something, yeah. you know, we could <laughs> fix stuff. We could, we could yeah. maybe not come to an agreement, but at least be like, oh, I don't agree with you, but I understand your perspective. Yeah. I love that. I love that that's like what you took away from it. And that's the message that you're sharing. Like, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's an, it, I'm very humble about magic in a way because I've, you know, it hasn't been my whole life. Yeah. It's also been, you know, I was doing circus, I was doing all these things. So I think I know in the grand spectrum that magic is like a tiny little art form. Yeah. So I, yeah, I always try and think about things on the grand spectrum, especially when it's something in magic happens where I feel slighted and I'm just like, who cares? Who cares? Magic is a little tiny world and it doesn't matter. It just doesn't. So with the famous magicians being male, or with the concern that magic that female magicians need to be more sexualized or whatnot, whatever those misconceptions are out there, do you think that magic is ageist? Ooh, see, I feel like I have. Tr I'm okay, so I'm gonna say what I can say, but I'm gonna first say that I feel like I probably don't know because I'm not experiencing that. I'm young and fit and pretty, and so I have this advantage that I don't sense that. However. That being said, I see women like Alba and like Faye Presto and these women who are in their 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and older. And uh, I feel like we respect them. I feel like they're within the community. Yeah. Extremely well respected. They get gigs at the castle. Everything's great. However, because the perspective of normal people is that ladies are assistants and they're pretty and they wear sequins and they have no pants on i think that perhaps even though the magic community is not ageist the magic community really respects their elders and has this wonderful culture of like you know 
we love you and we listen to everything you say until the very second you die. You know, there's such a wonderful community of respect for people who know because everything is about knowledge and experience and just trying to make the best magic. And I so appreciate and value that. But because of the perspective outside the magic community, I think trying to get corporate work or trying yeah. to like get a tour <laughs> or something, something that rubs up against the lay audience, I think that can be challenging. Yeah. But that's mostly because all entertainment is a little bit ageist. Yeah. But I was talking to a few of my mentors and also some other magicians I respect when I was in LA about how unintentionally, so Lucy's my new character. Yep. I've been performing as myself in magic for the last five years. And then in uh, this time last year, I started working on this character called Lucy and I premiered her in Australia in July. And now she's taken over my life. I've basically retired my own show <laughs> and I'm only doing Lucy now because all people want. I didn't realize that I was doing this when I was creating Lucy, but I basically built a character I can grow old into. And I think part of that was because when I first started doing bar shows, I did all this like, daddy never loved me kind of humor. Like this, yeah. like I'm a, I'm in show business because I'm unloved. I got kicked out of the house. And, and as a, when I looked really young, that totally worked. Yeah. Then around like 23, those jokes sort of stopped working and became a little creepy because I was so confident on stage that the jokes did not match my persona. Yeah. So then it got replaced with this like sort of sexy, a little bit bullying to guys kind of character, which worked, but it was still just me. And that built into my regular personality. It was funny, but it, it was, I was always limited because I was playing a fun game with them, but because I was just being myself, there wasn't that safety. So when I created Lucy, because Lucy's obviously like a drag queen kind of character, she can do any, like all these thoughts I used to have of like, oh, I wish I could do that. Lucy can do that. She can do anything she wants. But I was, you know, that this last year I turned 30. And so basically I started doing Lucy only about a month after I turned 30. And I was talking to some magicians in LA about magicians growing into their character and you know mentalism looking better on an older man or an yeah. older woman and how like certain styles of magic make sense for an older person and as we were talking I realized I had been thinking things like that for a half a year about being like okay well this was what I did as a woman in my 20s what's the next 20 years of my life gonna look like yeah and I had built like if you look at Lucy even though I'm tons of makeup people would think Lucy's like 36 37 that's not what I look like in real life. In real life, I look probably four years younger than I actually am. But I created this older character so that basically I can be 38 for the next 20 years. And that's a really like weird ageism thing in entertainment in general, not part of magic. But you can't like go, oh, the community's ageist. That sucks. Yeah. You know, you, you still have to make a decision about how you're going to handle that. What is your choice? And so my choice is to create a character that is age ageless and timeless and that I can grow up into and that, you know, one day Lucy will become grandma Lucy and it'll, she'll go from yeah. being 38 to 50, probably when I turn 40 and like, it'll just be a whole new thing. And then I'll age into that character for 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Like you, you need to plan for it. Yeah. And so is that, you see magic being your long-term career. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I, uh, I feel what I love about magic is I feel constantly like I don't know anything. Whereas in previous years, in previous steps in my life when I was doing stuff, I felt like, like with fire eating, you know, I ran out of tricks. I knew all the tricks. Yeah. And then I ran out of tricks and then I taught all the tricks. Now what? Now I get the world record. Uh, what else to do? Sideshow is wonderful. It's wonderful if you want to keep inventing stuff. But 
that doesn't tickle my fancy as much. Um, circus is great, if but you're always in pain, right? <laughs> and I and I love that in magic, I'm always gonna know nothing because there's so much to know, right? The more I know, the more I feel like I know absolutely nothing, right? And I and I like and I read tons and I'm constantly listening to people and I'm just like, yeah, I don't have a clue what I'm talking about. I'll just do my best. Yeah. And it's you know that's the that's the best part is you're never gonna run out of stuff to learn. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I think that's a good way probably and with our time to segue into the sort of five questions that I ask all of our interviewees. Let's go. Yeah. So I'm going to guess it has something to do with magic, (laughs) but what are the things that get you fired up and excited in a really good way? So for me, I love performing. I love writing. But the thing that is the very, very most exciting is when you're sitting there minding your own business, doing something else, and this brilliant idea floats over to your brain and then you go oh my goodness how did no one ever think of that before and that's the best it ever is that is the best it's that's better than performing that's better than winning any that gets me fired up every time no matter it's actually terrible because i could be like doing my taxes and i go nope i gotta go build that thing (laughs) that's what i'm doing now so that killed i love that you know and it usually comes from me just i read a lot and i I'm just generally interested in a lot of science stuff and just a lot of sociological stuff and just, just, just like putting information in my head. And then every once in a while, it'll all gel into one concept and it'll just hit me like a wave. Yeah. And that gets me super fired up. And then also seeing stuff that is so uh, unique, like really interesting. Like somebody came up with something and that's their thing and it's great and it's just this weird cool concept that gets me fired up because i see that and i'm like ah that's so good i'm garbage i gotta go work and i just (laughs) like like puts a fire under my butt and i work so much harder when i see like the first time i ever saw tape face i think i wrote 10 hours solid after the first time i saw him online i was like oh this is such a cool concept you're so smart i want to be that smart I'm going to write material for Ted, like not like him, yeah. like nothing that was even even remotely similar to what he was doing, but just the concept was so strong yeah. that I wanted something that strong. And I just didn't let myself rest for 10 hours until I had like yeah. basically mentally exhausted myself and felt terrible. Yeah, and it was great. On that little side question. So for your average person that doesn't know a ton about magic, who are the magicians that like we should learn more about? Whoa. Who do we go on YouTube and like oh my binge goodness. on? Oof, that's a really hard question because everybody <laughs> I leave out, I'm going to feel bad. Well, okay, Bizarro. Okay. Look up Bizarro. He's really interesting. He's got a really cool take on magic. Um, Xavier Mortimer is this magician of France who's super, super interesting. Who is interesting to watch that's got good YouTube videos. There's a lot of great magicians I love and admire. Uh, one is in this house, but he doesn't have a lot of videos online. <laughs> And is mentalist the same, like, in the same category as magician? Mm, yes. A mentalist is a magician, but not all magicians do mentalism. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like, mentalism is mind reading. It's sort of its different category. And a lot, they have, like, their own conventions they go to. But yeah. you can, you know, lots of magicians put a little bit of mentalism in their act. Yeah. It's sort of the same thing. It's kind of like illusionists. They're still magicians, but they yeah. have giant box props. So sometimes I want to hang out with other yeah. illusionists. Because I saw the guy that was on James Corden a couple times, Leor something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And like literally like how the frig did you do that? Like having yeah. those moments of like how is the whole audience holding up this star? Like I don't oh, understand man. it. My recommendation yeah. if people want to – the thing with magic in my opinion is that – it's very diverse in the yeah. same way that theater is diverse and music is diverse. And so I often feel like when people are like, oh, what band should I look up? I don't know. Yeah, what yeah. do you like? Yeah. So <laughs> my recommendation is 
Fool Us is doing an amazing job of bringing in lots of different kinds of magicians. So if you're interested in magic, I would say watch an episode or two of Fool Us. Write down the name of a magician whose performance you thought was really interesting and then binge watch all their stuff on YouTube. Yeah, okay. Because it's as varied as music. There are so much different kinds of magic. Oh, I just got to work with Pop Hayden in LA, who is amazing. His YouTube, he's got lots of YouTube. Look up Pop Hayden. He's yeah. so funny. I adore Pop Hayden. Holy moly, he's so great. But yeah, I mean like... I could name, I could genuinely name magicians for a yeah. full hour yeah. that I love and admire. There's so much good stuff, but yeah. it depends on what you like. If you're gothy, there's a guy for you. Yeah. If you're, if you're a punk rocker, there's a guy for you. Shocker is really punk rocky. Rob Zabrecki is really gothy kind of stuff. Like whatever you're into, okay. there's a magician that caters to that style. Okay. Yeah. I recognize that's a very hard question to yeah. ask. Super hard question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I normally ask my guests sort of like, what's the most inspiring book that you read in the past few years? And we were talking about how yours are all like magic books. I mostly read magic books yeah. right now. Um, I will say that I just reread uh, Born Standing Up by Steve Martin. Oh, okay. And yeah. as a performer, I highly recommend yeah. that book because what that it's a beautiful story. He's a fabulous writer. It's very funny. But more than anything, that book gives you permission to be super weird. And I think the wh that where we are in entertainment now, you know, 50 years ago when you could do an act and tour it, that was one thing. But now with YouTube and TV, you have to be constantly producing new yeah. material, constantly. You know, I, I, I think right now I have three hours of magic and I'm happy with 30 minutes of it, yeah. <laughs> right? And 30 minutes of it is maybe on YouTube, maybe a little bit more. But basically, as soon as you put something on YouTube, you have to burn it. You have to just write something new. And so I'm always really careful about what you put on YouTube or you have to put it on and then rewrite the act so that it's different when people see it live. So the most important thing has become being able to be this idea generator, this like concept factory, this, this really strong conceptual writer who knows themselves. And the only way that that happens is one, to read and be interested very widely and generally, to work hard. And then also to give yourself permission to be odd and to be a bit weird. And the, the Steve Martin book is so good for that. Yeah. I feel like that's good life advice whether you're oh, a magician so or whatever good. you do. Yeah. yeah. You're weird. Yeah. If it fe does it feel right? Yeah. Then do it. You'll, yeah. you'll figure it out. Once you do it well enough, people will be like, oh, yeah, I get it. Like yeah. you just got to do it until people go, oh, I get what you're doing. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And then they're on board. So on that, what's the best life advice or life lesson that you've ever re received? Oh, it's so tough too. Uh, my, well, I got a couple. My dad, since I was like a little kid, has always said uh, one is none and two is one. So you always have a backup, right? If you have one of something, you have nothing. Because when that thing fails, you have nothing. Yeah. So if you have two, well, then technically you have one. So I'm like obsessed with having backups on backups on backups. And as a performer, yeah, that is necessary. So I, ha I, I have like completely taken that concept and morphed it into this ridiculous thing. And I talk about this in my lecture about doing a pre-mortem. So when you write an act, you work on it, you work on it until it's perfect. You know every line, you know every beat, you know every move, everything is perfect. And then you deliberately mess it up. You drop something and you figure out what you're going to, like in practice, not in yeah. front of people, but you know, you, you mess something up and then you try and come up with a line and try and figure out how to save yourself so that no matter what could possibly go wrong, you have an out. You've already yeah. dealt with it. You wrote that. And it's been so valuable because the amount of, because now it's not even, like I don't often mess up on stage, but sometimes I do and I can save myself. That's not what it's for. It's the fact that I step on stage and I'm so comfortable. 
because there is nothing the audience can do or say that I'm I haven't already I'm not I'm always one step ahead of them yeah and that's absolutely necessary because when you are one person standing in front of 300 people <laughs> it's it they they you can need to be in control yeah they can yeah. smell fear so you better walk on that stage and be like there is nothing you can do that I can't take you there no matter what you do and say I'm ready for it. Yeah. And you really have to believe that because they'll look into your eyes and see that doubt. It strikes me that, uh, what is it? The Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour things. Mm, it strikes yeah. me that you've got 10,000 hours of magic under your belt. Oh, uh, God, I hope that's true. It's well, so hard if to you're tell. 30 and you've been doing this since you were 16. Yeah. I think so. It's, I think, but the thing is, is that magic really breaks down into several things. Yeah. Like I probably have 10,000 hours of writing. Yeah. But stage time, I mean, you're often performing 15 minutes at a time. So yeah, but I tough. mean, the prime example he gives in the book is the Beatles. Like, they, uh, well, he's true. not talking about 10,000 hours of performance, but like rehearsal and like yeah. songwriting and everything that went into it. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. I certainly hope so. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, otherwise, that's what was it? Yeah. At some point. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a favorite quote or words that you live by? Oh, oh my goodness. Um, so th- this is like a new thing for me. And uh, it's not, I was thinking about this a long time and I didn't want to like, I was like looking up quotes that I had in my thing, but I realized the thing that I keep being reminded of, and it's terrible because it's not exactly a quote, I'm badly answering your question. Um, There's this interesting research thing that came out with these psychologists and they, they found that um, it's about criticism and how all these different bosses were talking about criticism and the difference between men and women. And they were talking with psychologists and they figured out that when a man comes in, and he gets criticized. It's like, hey, yeah, great job. Uh, if you could just not put the paper in that basket because that's not where it goes and we've already told you, would that be good? The guy will be like, oh, yeah, no problem. Then that's over. I won't do that. But for some reason, because we have a different relationship with men and women, we tell men to do good things and we tell women to be good people. When a woman comes in and gets criticism, oh, you can't put it in the basket and we already told you that. She wasn't here. It's Don't, a judgment. Yeah, she yeah. hears are you stupid? And so now she goes, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then for the whole rest of the day, if not the week, you're like, oh, I can't believe I put the paper in the wrong thing. And they told me, and how could I have done that better? And I should be a better in this. And it's like, you feel attacked. I am a bad person. I've messed up. This is me. But that takes up so much time. Yeah. That's so time consuming. And so what I've been doing lately is I've, I've been thinking about that as like, uh, do good things has been my new mantra yeah. of like just do good things just do good things yeah i i feel like at this point in my life if I, i'm either a good person or i'm not but if i'm constantly doing good things if i really focus on that like that that line that we give to men just you know like a couple of days ago i did a show and it was fine but there was like one thing i messed up in the show and a year ago i would have given my present myself permission to just beat myself up about that for a week and this time i was mad all i was mad most of the night we went to the bar, had a beer, and I, as soon as I took my first step, I'm like, okay, it's fine. Yeah. I know better now. Don't do that. Done. Yeah. You know, and you know, just do better things. Just do better. I don't have to internalize this. If we could all learn to do that, like how yeah. amazing would that be? The yeah. time that you'd get back in your just, life. Just do it. Yeah. I, and so, yeah, that's my new do mantra is just like, just do good things. Don't worry about anything yeah. else. Just do your best. Do good things. If you yeah. messed up, apologized. Uh, and you apologized and there's nothing else you can do move on then move on who 
what who is gaining anything from you quietly beating yourself up about it the worst part is and i still do this i'm not gonna lie i do this once in a while but it's less now it's that thing of like i'll curl into bed and i'll like pull the covers up to my neck and like and then my brain will think about something stupid i said to someone just like i said it in a stupid way and i'll go ah, ah. like yeah. i'll make that noise out loud yeah. it's like i'm so ashamed yeah <laughs> and, and so i just have to so in those moments when i want to go ah, i'm like oh i just won't ever do that again and then i'll just yeah. move on and i just try to I just try to always every day start over and be yeah. like, okay, well, today I get to do good things. And it doesn't matter what I did yesterday. Today I'm just going to try and do good things all day. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I'm like, ah, I did some bad things. I messed up. But tomorrow I'm going to do good things all day. And so yeah. I, I think that's kind of my, my mantra right now. Yeah. I like that. I'm going to try that tomorrow. Yeah, it's good. Do good things. Just do good things. Yeah. That's all that matters. Final question. Carissa, what does it mean to you to live your best life? That is so tough. Because <laughs> I think... I used to know all through my 20s I knew and now I don't know because I uh, my best life is defining success for myself and then pursuing that kind of success so I always define success for myself as having the resources I need to accomplish what I want and that means money that means the time resources that means mostly people access to the people who know how to do things and who who know the people who know how to get to the things that I want to get to. Uh, and the other thing was like having really authentic relationships. So people who I trust, who I can be totally honest with, I can say something. If I do something horrible, I know I can say it to them and, and I'll feel safe. You know, I, I want to incentivize myself to be honest. So I try and surround myself with people who will accept the fact that I'm a little crazy. And sometimes I do terrible things because I'm also stupid sometimes. And so, yeah, so, you know, having really authentic relationships, having access to the things I need to accomplish, the things I want to do. And then on some level, I kind of always wanted to have the respect of my community, to feel like I could like, you know, to me that would look like going to a magic convention and walking around having people be like, oh my God, it's Chris Hendricks. The thing is, that is all my life now. Like I do have really authentic relationships with pretty much everybody I talk to because I've, I've cultivated that. I know that like when I was working at the Magic Castle, I was very clear with everyone. Everyone's like, you're so great. And I was just like, yeah, it's great. I need notes, you know? And I yeah. love that nobody went, oh, every single person gave me a list and the show got better every day and people respected me and thought I could handle it. And I appreciated that so much, so much more than a compliment to someone yeah. being like, it's great. I have a line for you. Or, yeah. you know, you shouldn't hold yourself that way or your caution doesn't make sense or stuff like that. I value that. And I, I value that mo mostly because it makes my show better, but also because it communicates to me that that person thinks I can handle it and genuinely wants me to do better. Right. They're not. I think that when someone's like, you're great, they're not doing me any favors. Yeah. So I have that. And then also, like, I have the house I want. I have the time I want. I've, I've this Your year. Your house is super cute. Thank you. Like, I love it. I was walking around the side and I'm like, I feel like that's her house and yeah. I haven't seen the number yet. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's, it's not even that it's a big house. It's that, you know, I have a I have a dance room with mirrored walls. I have a workshop. I have extra rooms for when other performers come into town. I have a close-up table. In my it's everything I wanted it to be. And then this last year, I really focused on giving myself permit. I used to tell people I was busy. And I was. But it was non-specific in a way that allowed me to not ever tell people that I didn't want to do something. So this year, I've, I promised myself I would try not to say busy. So now when people are like, hey, do you want to go out for a drink? I get to go, you know, I'm really tired and tonight I just want to spend the night doing nothing. And I have to be honest. And I have to be like, I don't, or, or if someone's like, you yeah. want to work on this project with me? I really can't make that a priority right now. And there's been something about that language that's also opened up a lot of time resources. Because when you say you're busy, people just try and like schedule Come for later. later. Yeah. But when you're like, I really can't, I can't, I can't join your D&D &D league right now. I'm sorry. They're like, oh, I get it. And they're fine. 
And so, so all the things I defined as like living my best life, I have those things. But I'm now realizing that my best life is when I'm chasing. So I think right now living my best life is, is just like trying to define the new chase. What else do I want? What's the next thing? I don't really have an answer to that right now. Yeah. But just constantly you're like, chasing the I got to chase it. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm chasing the question. What do I want? And, I've, yeah. and also like lately, the opportunity to mentor has been so great. Anyone I can like, I've built tons of websites for people this year and time I mean, like, you know, as much as possible as I can help people. Because I don't know a lot of things. I'm mostly, most of the things there are to know about show business. I don't know those things, but I know a lot of things. And so people who know few things, I can mentor those people. I enjoy mentoring those people. However, it is, I, there's a couple people I work with that I'm now at the cusp where I'm like, I have nothing left to tell you that you don't know. So you need a better mentor. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I, those, those are ways that for me, like even today working with London, it's just like, yeah, I did a good thing. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Carissa, for joining us on the podcast. It was a blast. Yeah, that was yeah. super fun. I hope uh, people have lasted. How long have we been talking? Like an hour and 15. Wow. If you made it to this point in the podcast, I'm giving you a mental high five. Well done. <laughs> You've got great stamina. Plus <laughs> 10 to stamina for you. People, people want to know the secrets of magic, man. <laughs> They're like, I stayed to the end. Oh, but she's not sharing it. I'm not sharing anything. No. <laughs> if you really want to know a magic thing, you go to Penguin Magic and you can buy a secret. Penguin so, Magic. That's where a lot of magicians find their magic. Oh. Good top tip. There we go. Yeah. There's also other magic sites, but I I like that one. I don't know why. I know it's not the best one, but I like it a lot. So. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 